Who is the Antichrist? Is it possible that it will be Judas Iscariot, raised from the dead? Well, stay with us to hear the answer to this question and many others. Welcome. You're listening to another edition of the Question and Answer program with our Bible teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee. This program is a ministry of the Through the Bible Radio Network. We have a number of questions today, so let's jump right in and begin with this one from a listener in Saginaw, Michigan. She writes, I'm looking to increase my understanding about prayer. You and every pastor I hear pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. Is it wrong to pray to the Lord Jesus directly, or are both ways correct? I've been saved for many years now, and as a senior citizen, I feel more like praying to Jesus. Can you help me? Well, may I say to you that I personally see nothing that's wrong in that, but the Lord Jesus gave us not only a pattern, but he also gave us some instructions relative to prayer. And if you go over to the 16th chapter of the Gospel of John, At the 23rd verse, the Lord Jesus, in this upper room discourse, he says, And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Then he goes on to say, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. Now, he said that we are to pray to the Father in his name because he's our intercessor, and we'll get an answer to our prayer if we come to the Father in his name. Now, the answer may be no, but it'll be the best answer you can get because, you see, he's the intercessor. He takes our prayer and presents it to the Father. I have no right to come to God. He does. And I can't answer prayer. He can. And so the formula for prayer is to go to the Father in the name of Jesus. Now you say, well, I want to pray directly to the Lord Jesus. Anything wrong with that? I don't think so. I'm sure that he understands. But I had a member of my staff for many years when I was pastor. And I preach this, taught this, that you're to go to the Father in the name of Jesus. And I would say that on Sunday morning. And then when the staff gathered for prayer before the evening service, we'd go around and different members of the staff would pray. He'd always start in, Lord Jesus. He never changed. I sure never convinced him that he ought to go to the Father in the name of Jesus. And I several times said under my breath, Lord, he knows better But go ahead and hear his prayer. And I think the Lord heard his prayer. He's a dear man of God. But I can't see why, when he's been so specific about this, why we shouldn't pray as he's asked us to pray in the name 
of the Son to the Father and praying in the Spirit. I think all three persons of the Godhead are involved in real prayer. I need all the help I can get, so I think I want to go that route, the route he's indicated. We come now to a question from Detroit, Michigan. The listener writes, I recently heard that major denominations and large independent churches were investing monies given by members into legitimate businesses such as stocks, bonds, hotels, insurance, radio, and television. Is this a scriptural practice? Well, I would say that the scripture would have nothing to say either way, and you probably ought to look at it this way. Many of these organizations, like a denomination, have stocks given to them and bonds given to them. And I think that they ought not to be in the business of buying hotels and stuff like that. I would be opposed to that. But when stock is given to them, now may I be very frank with you, sometimes folk give us stock, not money, but they'll give stock. When we made this tremendous giant step to go on a foreign station, the first time we had a listener that had, I guess, a great deal of stock, gave us stock. Then one of our men on the board who's acquainted with these things He said, now the stock market is down. Just hold that till it goes up. Well, that was several years ago. We held it till it went up, and then we sold it. We're not in the business of buying stocks. We just don't do that. I mean, we're in the business of getting out the Word of God. But when people give you stocks and bonds, and then we're holding now some stock that was given to us, and the man that gave it to us said, I want you to hold this till it goes up, because it's due to go up. And the broker has advised us to do the same thing, and that's what we're doing. And I can see nothing wrong with that, but I think there's a danger of any organization going into business, and we try to stay out of that. But I think many organizations are certainly a foul of that. Now, this listener from Sanger, California, presents two questions for us. The first one is, I've often heard the expression, Christ is the sweetest rose of Sharon. What does this mean? Where did it originate, and is it found in the Bible? Well, there has been an adjective added to it, the sweetest, but it is a Bible expression. It's found in the Song of Solomon. In the Song of Solomon, the second chapter, verse 1 And it's the Lord Jesus speaking here. Many of us believe it's the bridegroom. He says, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. Now, Sharon is a valley that is along the Mediterranean between old Caesarea and the city of Haifa. It's a very beautiful area. They have actually banana groves in there. It's semi-tropical, and they raise very beautiful flowers. And in the days, I'm sure, of Solomon, it was especially a beautiful spot. And so the Rose of Sharon is one of the titles that is attributed to the Lord Jesus Christ. The second question raised in that letter is, was Paul following God's will or his own will when he persisted in going to Jerusalem according to Acts 20, verse 22, and Acts 21, verse 4? 
and I think I should read those two passages. Acts 20, 22 reads, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit under Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. And then later on in Acts 21, 4, we're told in finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Well, may I say to you that the first time that we find the Spirit used, he says, I'm bound in the Spirit. I think he meant his own Spirit, that Paul felt that there was grave danger ahead of him if he went to Jerusalem. And then as he proceeded on the way and he came over to Tyre, there were disciples there, and one through the Spirit told him that he should not go to Jerusalem. Now, I understand that to mean that there was going to be danger there for him, but that it wasn't that he was forbidden. The Spirit of God did not put up a roadblock, for instance, as he did on this second missionary journey and absolutely would not let him go down into Asia and later into Bithynia. Those two places were forbidden to him. Here, and as I understand it, Paul says, I do not know what danger awaits me there. Now he's told what it is. The Spirit of God tells him not to go. Now Paul is willing to pay the price, and he was willing. He was arrested there and actually mistreated, taken down to Caesarea, and then later on he uh, appealed to Caesar and was taken to Rome. So that is the way that I understand it. I do not believe that Paul actually stepped out of the will of God by going to Jerusalem because at the end of his life, he could say, I have finished my course. That is, I touched all the bases. I have been around and have been led and guided of God. The Spirit of God here is just letting him know what is ahead of him. He makes it clear he did not know before. Moving on, we come to a question from a listener in Leavenworth, Kansas, who writes, Does the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Ephesians state that a person's spirit goes to be with the Lord upon conversion? No, I don't think that that is what Paul has in mind. And I think that if you go to the epistle to the Ephesians, that you will find there that Paul is saying that we are in the body of Christ now, but that doesn't mean that our spirit goes to be with Christ. The body is down here on earth, and the head of the body is in heaven. Now, I think if you would go over to the Philippian epistle, you would get that explained to us. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he said, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. You see, what he's saying is this, that at death, to go and be with Christ, that's far better. But to remain here is the thing that he wanted to do and felt was needful at that time. So I would say that 
the spirit does not go at the time of conversion. It's at the time of death. Our next question is from a listener in Los Angeles. He writes, in Revelation 22, verse 11, it says, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Now, to me, that is a finale. However, in verse 17, it says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Can you explain this? Well, may I say, if you will just hold that in perspective, and that is, you are absolutely correct. That is a finale when he makes the statement, let him that is unjust or filthy be that way. In other words, the time has passed now for conversion. Eternity is beginning. And this is the end of man's little day on the earth. It's come now to an end. Now, in light of that, because now we've come to the end, the last thing he does is give an invitation to those of us that are way back where we are today and say to us, hear what the Spirit of God has to say. And that's an invitation to the world in light of the way that things are going to go and the climax that is coming someday. You see, this earth is following God's program and God has told us in broad strokes exactly what's going to take place. And now he says, when the end does come, there'll be no way of changing the filthy. The Holy Spirit will be removed. And now eternity begins. And that one that's filthy will still be filthy. And friends, that's a very horrible thought, by the way. And I just interject that here, is to think that you will enter eternity and never be able to change. I know before I was converted, even as a young fellow, when I would go out with the boys on the town, I always got filthy and dirty. And I'd always be thankful that I could get out of that stuff and get back and become a human being again. And then when I was converted, man, how wonderful it was to be able to turn from that. But just think, to be in a state like that and not be able to change, because you couldn't change yourself. We all have discovered that. Only the Spirit of God can change us. And thank God for the mercy of God that makes it possible for the Holy Spirit to change us. Do you want to go into eternity just as you are now? That is, if you're an unsaved person. And even if you're saved, it may be you're stumbling and blundering and falling. I don't want to go. I look forward to the day when we shall be like him. What a glorious prospect that is for the child of God. Bellflower, California is the location from which this next letter comes to us. And the listener writes, I know a person who at one time had been a wonderful spirit-filled Christian. Now she's become very enthusiastic about palm reading, astrology, and other occult practices. If a person's really saved, how could they get into such things? And if they are saved, will they continue in such practices? That's the big question that I ask. If that person continues 
in those practices, then I would say that they are not saved. The prodigal son got in the pig pen. He was still a son, and because he was a son of the father and not a pig, he had to say, I'll rise and go to my father. And a child of God may get into something like this, and my question would be, how long will this person stay in it? Now, if this person will not be static, that's for sure. They'll either come out of it or they'll go deeper into it. And I would say if they go deeper into this sort of thing, certainly they're not a child of God. The Word of God is very clear, specific warning against that type of thing. But after all, maybe a baby Christian noses around and gets himself into trouble a great many places and times, but he's not going to stay in it. That is for sure. And I'd be patient with this party, whoever it is, pray for them. And if you have access to their ear and they'll listen to you, you might talk with them about that, point out the dangers of that type of thing. You know, you can get engrossed in that. We have any number of letters that we receive here of folk that have been converted, and they tell how they never intended to go on drugs. They never intended to get wrapped up in this sex life at all, but they did. One thing led to another. You can't be static. As long as you're alive, you're going to move one direction or another. And some of them have gone to the very depths. And then they've been converted miraculously and marvelously by the Spirit of God. But you have to wait and see. I always said when I was pastor, when I got questions like this, I, was, I felt at the crossroads of the world in downtown Los Angeles in the days when that great population moved into this area out here. And they came from everywhere. And a great many came as Christians, got caught up in the life out here, and some of them strayed. And the question would come continually, well, is this person saved? I knew him in Chicago. He was a Sunday school teacher, officer in the church. Now look at him, what he's doing out here. Do you think he's a Christian? I would say, well, the father's house is down at this end of the road, and the pig pen is at the other end of the road. Let's just wait See where he goes. If he goes to the pig pen, we know what he is. He's a pig. He stays there as a pig. And if he goes to the father's house, he must be a child of God. And the interesting thing is, the father will be there to welcome him when he returns. Now, a Michigan listener sent us this next question. Could you please give us your thoughts on suicide? Is it possible for a Christian to commit suicide and still go to heaven? Well, unfortunately, that is a sin that a person commits, and we have no way of knowing afterward what their state of mind was. A person, for instance, a man, he murders. Afterward, we may find out that it was in self-defense, or it was somebody broke into his home and was about to rape his wife, and that was the condition, and we find that out later. Man might tell a lie and see what happens and repent of it afterward. There's one thing about a suicide. We don't know that. Now, there's one thing for sure. If a person is a born-again child of God, born of the Spirit of God, 
and that person commits suicide. Now, I can't understand how they do it because I haven't been able to talk to any of them. The minute they commit suicide, they move where I can't talk to them, and you can't either. So we don't know whether they were really saved or not, and therefore that question hangs in limbo for any dogmatic answer, and I always like to give a dogmatic answer, but that's the best I can do. Now let me give you my opinion. I believe that a Christian can. I think things could get so bad, so terrible, that a child of God would commit suicide. And I think we see that at Masada over in Israel. We know that some of the Jews that escaped from Jerusalem in 70 AD were Christians and that they did not want to fall into the hands of Titus. They feared him, they hated him, and he hated them, of course, and they knew how brutal and cruel he was, and they would rather commit suicide than fall into his hands. Now, I can understand that. I felt like that if the enemy was pushing in on me and there was no escape and it meant persecution, a kind of persecution that might cause me to deny my Lord. I want to be very frank with you. They can give you drugs today that would make you do that. I wouldn't want to do that. Therefore, I think I would be willing to do that. That's my feeling right now. Now, that's just my opinion. We have no way, actually, of knowing. Our final question today comes to us from a listener in Greensboro, North Carolina. He says, I recently heard a preacher speaking from the book of Revelation. He said that during the end times, Judas Iscariot would be raised from the dead and would be the Antichrist. Is there any scriptural proof for this? What do you think? May I say to you, first of all, I do not like questions that set me over against some preacher because the chances are he knows a great deal more than I do, and therefore I do not like to be put in that position certainly of trying to answer a preacher that has preached a sermon. And to begin with, the thing that this man has said is the belief, actually, of a great many today. Frankly, I know several preachers that feel that Judas Iscariot is going to be the Antichrist. I cannot accept that, do not believe that. There are others that believe that the two witnesses, that one of them will be Judas Iscariot. Now, that, uh, all of that is mere speculation, of course, and it may be good speculation. I don't know. They could be right. From my point of view, the way I understand the Scripture, I do not see how it could be Judas Iscariot. I believe that this man will be an altogether different man. There is one thing in this viewpoint that stands up, and that is Antichrist will have been raised from the dead, apparently. And I very frankly think that will be a false resurrection. But again, may I say, there's a lot of speculation that goes on here, and here is a place where Scripture is not clear. And the reason, I think, is quite obvious. I'm not looking for Antichrist. And therefore, I don't really need to know who he is. And I frankly am not worried much about him at all. That is, of having to see him and know who he is. So I think we can just pass that by and say, we just really don't know. We covered a lot of ground today. 
Some of these questions and Dr. McGee's answers to them may have sparked your interest to dig deeper into the Word of God. Well, we can help you with that because we have a number of excellent resources, many of which go into greater detail about some of the issues we covered today. For instance, we have several great books, including J. Vernon McGee on Prayer, Through His Spirit, and J. Vernon McGee on Prophecy. To order or get more information on any of the items I just mentioned, you can browse our online bookstore or call one of our helpful service operators. Now, be sure to join us this week on the Through the Bible radio program heard each Monday through Friday on this station. We'll be continuing Dr. McGee's wonderful five-year Bible bus journey through the whole Word of God, book by book and chapter by chapter. We provide notes and outlines for all these studies, which you can get by asking to be added to our mailing list. To do that, simply give us a call anytime and leave your voicemail request along with your name, address, and the call letters of the station. To get the newsletter in the electronic format and download the notes as a PDF, you can find all the details when you go to our website. Did you know that Through the Bible isn't just a radio ministry teaching through the Bible? We're actually a missionary ministry that's working to get God's Word into all the world, and we're doing that by taking our five-year program that you hear in English and translating it into over a hundred languages and dialects. So keep us in your prayers as we work to spread God's Word. To contact our offices, to purchase any of our resources, get on our mailing list, or to express your interest in the ministry, call 1-800-65-BIBLE, Monday through Thursday from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. Pacific Time. Or write to Questions and Answers in the U.S., Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. Or find us online at ttb.org. Now we pray that God will answer all your questions and solve all your problems. Jesus made it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. This program's been brought to you by the faithful friends and supporters of the worldwide ministry of Through the Bible Radio Network.